This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of But God Can, How to Stop Striving and Live Purposefully and Abundantly, written and narrated by Becky Kaiser and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Hey friends, welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. Each episode, I sit down with a guest to discuss their life journey and how the grace of God has impacted them along the way. After listening to today's episode, I hope you are encouraged that God can use you right now in the midst of your day-to-day life. Yes, it requires daily surrender and trust, but we must remember His grace is enough. As Christ followers, we hear Bible verses like Mark 9.37, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. And Isaiah 117, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Among other verses, these are often quoted when Christians discuss caring for children placed in foster care. God calls us to love people, and one of those ways is to become a foster parent and care for children who have been removed from their homes. Today, my friend Lindsay is on the podcast. Lindsay shares her story of becoming a foster parent with her husband. You will hear her talk about her fears prior to becoming a foster mom, how fostering is not easy but it's worth it, how God called her family into this role as they were becoming very comfortable, and how fostering has impacted her biological children. Listen to what Lindsay says about Christians and foster parenting. We need you, especially, especially the church. We need believers, and we need people that will take these kids in and love them and love their parents and just show some grace and forgiveness in a situation that's just so broken. This capacity crisis is not insurmountable. Uh, The latest number was if one family in every five churches took in a foster child, that there would no longer be a need for foster parents. And when I think about Tampa, um, that number's incredible. One out of every five churches After today's episode, I believe you will have experienced a glimpse into the lives of a family who simply said yes and continues to say yes despite the hard days. Hey, Lindsay, welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. Thank you for taking the time to be here with me this evening. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad to be here. Will you take a moment and introduce all of our listeners to you and your family and tell everyone a little bit about what you do? So my name is Lindsay Henson. I am from Tallahassee, but currently live in Tampa, Florida. Um, I am married to the love of my life, Shane. We've been married for 15 years. And I have three biological children, Riley, who's 11, Caleb, who's nine, and Quinn, who is five. My daytime, sometimes nighttime job, (laughs) is as an OBGYN. I do that full time here in Tampa. But um, I think my life passion and what has become kind of the forefront of my life over the last few years has been foster care, advocacy, um, support and and really um, sharing our story in a way that encourages churches and Christians in our community to become a little bit more involved. And so to that end, I'm um, currently a foster parent with my husband. We have a four-year-old with us currently, and I am on the board at West Florida Foster Care Services, which is an organization here in Tampa that licenses and recruits Christian foster homes. Well, and that's what we're going to talk about mostly today is foster care, but I do want you to just take a moment and share with our listeners just kind of how your journey with Jesus started and how that 
eventually led into this place uh, of you fostering. I mean, I was with you somewhat on that journey in the beginning and remember that calling and transition. But if you'll just share with our listeners a little bit about that. Sure. So I grew up in a family with what I would say are some deep Southern religious roots, but we never really um, had any kind of personal relationship with Jesus. And so that didn't really happen for me until I was a freshman in college. And I actually met Jesus alone on my dorm room floor um, after a series of very poor decisions led me to a place where I just wanted to know that Jesus was who he said he was and that he would rescue me the way he said he would. And I bought myself a Bible and prayed a prayer by myself in my dorm room um, floor. And really the rest is history. He was who he said he was and he did rescue me the way he said he would. And so um, ever since then, I've been walking with Jesus. So that's kind of my story in a nutshell. Um, Hold on, because I want to interrupt because I think something that I don't know (laughs) is that I know you and Shane, you know, met at college or in college. But did you become like involved in any Christian ministry? ministry in college? Or was it just because being involved in sports there and having, you know, different teammates? Or how did that work? Like, how did you grow during that time? Yeah, so I went up actually, uh, Shane, my my freshman year, my first semester was not there. And so um, I went up there as a non-believer, but I went on a volleyball scholarship and just had a few very close teammates and friends that really just invested in me and shared with me and invited me to Fellowship of Christian Athletes, FCA, which was big up there. And um, ultimately, after I became a Christian, met Shane through Fellowship of Christian Athletes. He was a football player up there. So that's how we met. <laughs> okay. I mean, I knew it was at college, but I was like, I don't know that story. Yeah, so. yeah. So then you all eventually end up in Tampa, um, which I guess, dur- was that during med school or after med school? It was after med school. It's all of That's right. You were at FSU. Yes, yes. I went to Florida State for medical school and then went to University of Florida for residency. And those years are just a complete blur. And then (laughs) we ended up in Tampa in 2012. Right. And so then at our church, you eventually get involved in foster care. And kind of how did that come about? What did that process look like for you guys? Yeah. So I, you know, I was thinking back about this and, and I really think at the time where we were getting involved in the church, there was a lot of kind of national talk and bubbling up about social justice. So it was kind of Black Lives Matter and, and a lot of race reconciliation talk. And, and there was a lot of talk in the church about what that looked like and what the church's role should be in all of that. And we were doing a Bible study on Micah 6, 8, um, and really what it looked like to seek justice and love mercy and how Jesus represented that and what that looks like, not only as a church, but in our individual lives. And I, you know, really felt very uncomfortable with that because I was just getting to the point where I had this big doctor job and we were comfortable and we were living in a very financially and socially comfortable life. And that really kind of questioned that. So through that, I met a a friend of mine who's now one of my dearest friends who was fostering two teenagers. She had her own business. She had two young kids at home. I thought, what in the world? I've never seen a foster parent like this in my life. Mm -hmm. What's special about her? And was introduced eventually to the executive director of West Florida Foster Care, which is the the organization that I'm now on the board of. And um, and basically what I found was that this organization, you know, was going to churches and to Christians and saying, we are in a capacity crisis here and we don't have people stepping up. And Hillsborough County is the worst in the state of Florida in terms of the number right. of children that are removed from their homes. I think it was 250 a month are removed. That's nine a day, uh, children who need homes. And 
And what I saw was that the church was largely absent. And my first response is, well, where is everybody? And then (laughs) I kind of felt like, well, wait a second. I mean, I'm right here. Right. I'm part of the everybody. (laughs) I am somebody. So, so yeah, um, it, it was not that simple, but through a series of very emotional and soul searching conversations with my husband, we ultimately decided that the role that we were being called into and we started the classes then. Well, what were some of those fears early on as you sat in those classes and heard, I mean, obviously the worst case scenarios, but oftentimes the worst case scenarios are what show up on your doorstep. Right. Yeah. I definitely went in knees knocking, ready to run out the door. So so I don't want to make this sound like we just went in and were so confident and, and ready to do this. I mean, mm-hmm. it was definitely something we were very scared about. So at the time, if I'm if I'm thinking back correctly, our children were two, five, and eight. Um, and so the, our biggest fear really was our kids. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, what are we bringing them into? How is it going to impact them? Are we going to regret this? Will they traumatize our children? What are they going to teach our children? What if our children feel neglected? Those are probably our biggest fears. Yeah. And something I hear, you know, from a lot of people. Yeah, is the kids. Right. Which, I mean, we can even go on into that, um, even though that's a question we'll probably dig into a little bit more later on. But have any of those fears really been realized? You know, no, Mm -hmm. I don't even really know how to say that, except that by the grace of God, no. I mean, our children, um, you know, I think we just don't give them enough credit. We've been very open with our kids about why we've chosen to foster, about who Jesus is and what he calls us to do, and about the lives that our children lead and how different they are from the lives of our foster children and how that inequality of justice just should spur us on. So our kids are incredible. And, and, um, every time that I think, oh gosh, maybe, you know, maybe they're feeling like this is just such an imposition on their life, or maybe they feel like we're, you know, not paying enough attention to them because we're busy with our foster child. I'll get a letter home from the teacher that says, you know, it's just really incredible how your kids seek out the kid that's just feeling left Mm -hmm. out and sad and down. And they they're immediately drawn to that. And they're so inclusive and it doesn't really bother them when people are different or don't have as much or, you know, have a need that's that needs to be met. And so to me, it's worth it. And so mm-hmm. if there is any negative impact, and, and I'm sure maybe, you know, if we really sought that out, we could find it. I, I think it's been so worth it. Yeah. Well, take us back to your first foster placement. And you know, what was it like? I mean, I remember a little bit about the process, but we had just moved to North Carolina. And um, yeah, you just just share a little bit about that first process and not just about the personality of your foster daughter at that time, but just all of the crazy things that happen and the unknowns that happen. Yeah, yeah. So um, when we when you get licensed, you are immediately put in this queue, for lack of a better word, where any time that there's a need for a placement, your name comes up. And so placement starts calling you almost immediately. So it could be two minutes, two days, Mm -hmm. two months before you get a call. 
And so I, you know, it was probably a day or two after we had gotten the call that we were officially licensed foster parents and we were at a football game and I got a phone call and I thought, oh my gosh, this is placement. I can't hear a thing. I'm, you know, I'm in the stands and pick up this phone. And, um, and they said, we have a two-year-old and she's in the hospital and she's been terribly physically abused and she's going to be getting out soon. Would you be willing to, to take her? And I said, oh my gosh, yes, you know, we'll be there. And, and we left the, the game. Shane went home to the kids and I went to the hospital. And um, when I say that my, the trajectory of my life changed that day, I, I, I mean, I'm, I am not exaggerating. It was, you know, to walk into a room as a believer and see a two-year-old baby in a crib with no one, um, bandages all over her, the cribs in hospitals. I don't know if you've seen them, but they look like cages. Mm -hmm. She was just caged and bandaged and alone and crying and not one person in the world cared. And I think, um, that was just, that was a defining moment for me that, that I had been living my life. And I, and I really felt at that time that, that it was, I, I had to just beg for forgiveness from the Lord that I had been so ignorant of something that was happening right under my nose and to have been that ignorant and, and to have been so equipped to do what he was calling me to do and to have put it off for so long was really um, humbling. And so anyway, uh, she was with us for nine months and I think working with the system is a very frustrating thing. Um, there are people who are absolutely in it for the best interest of the child. And there are people that are absolutely in it to check off boxes and accomplish tasks. And those things don't always align. Um, but ultimately, um, our first placement was not reunified with her mother, which was a, a good choice. And she was placed with her biological aunt, whom we had developed a really good relationship with. And so we, after nine months, were able to fly her up to Chicago and um, hand her off and say our goodbyes and hugs and cries. And um, to this day, we're still in contact and are able to, to stay in touch with her, which is a, a true blessing and not something that always happens. So. I was going to say. I mean, that's not always the outcome not. for people, but that, that does have to be so cool to just get updates that are positive yeah. and for your kids to get to see that first, you know, who they become their siblings too, you yeah. know, somebody they really love. Well, what surprised yeah. you early on about fostering? I think it was more the amount of work that goes into coordinating the best interests of the child. I mean, we had a social worker and a guardian ad litem, and we had our own support from our licensing agency and everybody, and the parents and, and the foster parents and the judge. And there are all these people that are trying to make the right decision, but each of us only see a, a certain part of the story and not all, well, in fact, most of them are not believers. And mm -hmm. so the the strand of how Christ works and all of that is sometimes hard to, to find and hard to define with the people you're working with. And so, um, you know, I think we had to be, uh, give a lot of grace and, you know, you, your home is always open. So people are always stopping by, you know, we would get knocks on our door at nine o'clock at night, have to wake children up from sleep, you know, it's, it's hard work. And, and, right. it, the, the system is overworked and underpaid, and we try to understand that and work within the confines of what we're given. And it's not really about our comfort anyway, so mm. we're just kind of along for the ride. <laughs> <laughs> Whether it's smooth or bumpy, right? <laughs> uh, mostly bumpy. Yeah, mostly bumpy. <laughs>
I mean, speaking of that, what has really encouraged you to press on even when I know there are days you're like, I'm going to lose my mind. I mean, and we feel that way even with our own kids. So I don't want people to listen and think that it's impossible because that's certainly not what I'm saying. It's more, um, yeah. you know, like what encourages you to just keep pushing on. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think the difference is we can say no to foster care. I guess you can't really say no to, <laughs> to, to parenting your own children. Right. Um, yeah. No, I think we definitely, every time that a child leaves our house, we go, okay, we're going to take a break. This is, this has been stressful and hard. And then we get a phone call and mm. the phone call is something like our first phone call where there's a child in the hospital. There's a child who's been in a hit and run and their parent was a DUI and left the scene. I mean, there are these children that are out there that have by no fault of their own ended up on the floor of an office building. And, you know, if we are who we say we are as believers, then that should matter to us. And, you know, I am not saying that from a judgmental place, but more of a place of personal conviction that Mm -hmm. I, I cannot in good faith stop at least right now, knowing that if I stop that there's a, a child that may have had a place to go that will not have a place to go. And so, you know, that may change as, as things evolve in our life. And I think there are seasons for everything. Um, and, and, you know, my hope and prayer is that as we lay down the torch that someone else will pick it up. Yeah. But for the time being, um, every time I want to get comfortable and sit back, it just feels wrong um, yeah. for me personally. Yeah. Well, and obviously for Shane too. Yeah. It's nice, too, to be in a position where it seems like, from an outside perspective, that he's incredibly supportive and just, I mean, so great with the kids. Yeah, I mean, he's incredible. And and I think probably surprised himself. Um, Mm -hmm. He um, was very reluctant. Um, That was a a work in progress over probably two years of prayer and and discussion. And um, he had a lot of of fears. And I think what it boiled down to was me just saying, hey, this is a calling that I felt like, you know, God is calling both of us into, but I would never take that step without your support. And, you know, if you're fearful, because you're fearful, I would ask that you consider that. But if you really feel like God's not calling us into it, then then we shouldn't go there. And it took him a while, but he really ultimately said, you know, my fears are not really grounded in anything other than a lack of faith and, and ultimately was willing to take a step. And he has been incredible. I mean, better than I am at this foster parent thing. So uh, he's also much more patient, humble and kind. As you're saying that I'm cracking up because I'm like, that would be the case in our family because it's the patience factor that weighs out there. Like Sam has, I mean, I don't even have a grain of salt compared to his patients. Right. Right. So, um, you know, I, I would love to take credit for, you know, all of this wonderful foster parenting we're doing, but the truth is he carries about 90% of that load. So, which I'm actually okay with. Right, right, right. (laughs) I hope you are enjoying this week's conversation with Lindsay. I would like to take a moment and briefly introduce our sponsor who is making this week's conversation possible, Hope Threads. This organization was founded by moms in North Raleigh who have been inspired and motivated to join with highly resilient and talented refugees as they learn English and develop marketable skills to support their families. These women come from countries with political turmoil where they had to fight for the safety of their families. They've been given the opportunity to come to the United States and the challenges still exist, though they've changed face. 
Their children are generally thriving in school, though they lack the language skills to understand what's being said in parent-teacher conferences or to know how to get their children proper medical care in the maze of a medical system. Multiple barriers exist that prevent these women from traditional employment opportunities, as most of them do not have cars to get them to work, the finances to pay for childcare, or the language skills to communicate and advocate for themselves. Hope Threads was born out of relationships formed over years of serving these women by teaching them English or caring for their children as they learn. They are graciously hosted by Northridge Bible Church and have virtually no overhead cost as volunteers teach sewing skills and care for their children in a gospel-centered children's program. They started with baby items and have now expanded into also making women's earrings and dishcloths. You can find them online at hope-threads.com or on Instagram at hope.threads. Your purchase empowers a resilient refugee woman as she acculturates, learns new skills, and supports her family. You can also partner with Hope Threads by joining their sponsorship program. It is $25 for initial training materials for one woman. It is $25 to train a refugee woman for one day. It is $35 for 10 weeks for one child to be in their gospel child care curriculum. It is $150 for a woman to participate in Hope Thread's six-week training program. If you go to hope-threads and click on sponsor, you will see all of these opportunities to partner with Hope Threads. Also, through the end of October, Hope Threads is generously offering 10% off any purchases made by Grace Enough podcast listeners. Go to hope-threads.com and at checkout, enter GRACE10 for 10% off. Now back to my conversation with Lindsay. Um, Well, there are all of these misconceptions about fostering. Um, A couple being, you know, kids should be grateful that you're taking them in. Be a saint to be a foster parent. The foster child will, you've already mentioned this, and will pose a threat to your biological children. Um, The birth parents must not love their children. And the list just goes on and on. What would you like the common person, me included, to know about a lot of those labels and misconceptions? I'm going to ask for some grace here um, for those listening, just because my prayer is that what I would say you would receive is is a plea for the church to really examine how we can do better um, in the area of foster care and not necessarily from a place of, of judgment on any individual person's decision. But I would say one of the things that we hear over and over and over again is I could never do that. Um, I guess what I want to say is that you absolutely could. Um, and It doesn't mean you should, and it doesn't mean that you're in a place where it would be wise to be a foster parent, but you absolutely could do it. And, you know, I'm, I'm not a a special superhero. God didn't give me an extra big heart or more patience or, you know, better parenting skills. It really was just taking me, this embarrassingly flawed and totally normal person and really stepping out as an act of obedience to a calling um, to do something that I felt like was near and dear to the Lord's heart and really represented the heart of Christ to the foster community and the community at large. And so I think there are probably some people in the church that are replacing I'm not willing to do that with I couldn't do that. And I, you know, I think you know, what would it look like if we really, if those people who really just felt that nudge, but felt scared 
just took the first step and, and, and how would that revolutionize foster care in general? So, you know, certainly not everybody is called into foster care and certainly you can support foster care in a way that doesn't necessarily require that you actually parent or bring a child into your home. But it's a little bit hard to hear sometimes over and over people say, I couldn't do that. Mm. Yeah. So, and then the other one is I could never give them back. That's a big one. Mm -hmm. And, um, and you absolutely could because they're not yours. You know, I mean, we are not, this isn't foster care isn't about how we feel or what we can get out of it or what is going to be taken from us. It's really being obedient to a call to provide a place for this child who has never done anything to deserve what they've had happen to them, come into your house, feel safe, feel loved. And hopefully in best of circumstances, the best of circumstances be reconciled to their family in a way that's safe and happy for everyone involved. So, mm-hmm. you know, they're not ours to give back. So we could give them back because they're not ours. <laughs> yeah. Well, and does that get a little bit easier as you continue to foster? Because I can't even in my mind see how it would be hard even knowing like, yes, you, you give them back because they don't belong to you. But I would think that that's something that you even struggled with the first time because it's still painful. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I'm not saying that it wasn't heartbreaking. I mean, right. we cried and cried and cried. In fact, when um, when we first turned over our foster daughter to her biological aunt in the airport, she and I both cried so hard mm-hmm. that people thought that someone was stealing my daughter from me. I mean, that's it, it, it was incredibly emotional. And I, you know, there's a lot of pain there, but mm-hmm if you're doing foster care right, you're attaching and you're providing them with a relationship that feels bonded. And so any separation of that is going to be incredibly painful. But part of what we've done to help with that, and one of the things that was probably the most important part of our training was learning how to develop relationships with parents or the biological family in a way that allowed them to feel that we were not a threat, that we weren't trying to take their child, that we didn't feel better than them. Um, We are all level at the cross. And so telling them that there was no difference between us um, really has created a stage for us to really have good relationships with all of our biological families. And we've been lucky so far that that has been the case. So we're still in touch with nearly all of our, our kids. That is really neat. And something I'd love to just talk about more because I I'm like, when do you even communicate with them? Is it just like court proceedings or parent visitation? Yeah, it's a little bit um, case dependent. Mm -hmm. It depends a lot on how safe I feel and Mm -hmm. how much I want to give. So most of the time, initially, I'll just ask for a phone number and I'll send them a text that says, hey, we have your son or daughter and we're so excited that you're working to get them back. And is it okay if we send you pictures of how they're doing and um, send you pictures of when they do Mother's Day cards? Or can we, you know, allow them to send you a little video when they're thinking about you? And of course, the parents always say yes. And, um, you know, my job is number one, not to judge them, but also I don't really get the opportunity to make a case for whether or not I think the parents should have them back. So, it actually takes a lot of pressure off because I don't get to decide, you know, where the child goes so much as I can just develop that relationship and let them know that we're on the same team and we're working towards the same goal. And so, I mean, it's helpful. It's helpful to feel like you're kind of on the same team and it makes it easier to, to make that transition back if they're going to go back. Yeah, for sure. I mean, (laughs) 
just not knowing the person would be very challenging, I think. So that definitely is helpful. Right. And I hope that if they now none of our children actually have gone back to their biological parents, but Mm. um, even let's say their biological family that they go to, my hope would be that if the child was reunified and things weren't working out, that they would then feel comfortable to reach back out to us and say, hey, we're really struggling or they're removing so-and-so from our home again, would you be willing to take them in? And and so it gives me that reassurance that they have a little bit of a safety net that wasn't there before. Well, and you may have already shared this a little bit, but what is something that you would really love for people to know about foster parenting? Aside from, you know, what we talked about before, you know, you can do it. Um, we need you, especially, especially the church. We need believers and we need people that will take these kids in and love them and love their parents and just show some grace and forgiveness in a situation that's just so broken. This capacity crisis is not insurmountable. Uh, the latest number was if one family in every five churches took in a foster child, that there would no longer be a need for foster parents. And You're I think. When I think about Tampa, um, that number is incredible. One out of every five churches. So, Just one um, family and every correct. five. Wow. Yeah. So um, in Hillsborough County alone, last year, 1,500 kids were removed. And that's really not that much, you know, and that's not a millions number. So I, you know, I think that's probably the biggest thing. The other thing, and I'll, I'll speak specifically to believers here, is that we as believers are so well known for our stance of being pro-life. And we do the walk for life and we hold up signs and we vote for our presidents based on our beliefs and we pick it outside of clinics and we spend so much time and energy talking about how valuable these lives are and they are formed in their mother's wombs and they all of the hairs on their heads heads are numbered and that everything about them was intentional and beautiful and i think in some ways we have kind of become more pro birth than we've mm-hmm. become pro-life. Mm-hmm. And so when these moms who speak to us are told that their babies are valuable and when those babies are born and then the mothers can't care for them and they're laying in hospital beds bandaged and alone, the community really has abandoned them. And we have not done a very good job of carrying that belief on into mm-hmm. young adulthood, childhood, whatever you want to say. But so I would just challenge everyone to consider what it really means to be pro-life in the area of foster care and 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 how it must appear to the outside world that the church has really um, in a lot of ways been absent there and so um, my prayer is that we would change that and it's happening I mean yeah. we've got so many organizations here in Tampa that are now licensing and recruiting um, homes and it's so encouraging I don't mean to sound discouraging um, and that's just makes me so happy, but I think there's still work to be done. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and so how do they train you? Or maybe I shouldn't say, how do they train you? But Mm -hmm. what have you found to be the most beneficial when it comes to maybe a child comes in your door who has experienced severe trauma? And as a result of that trauma, we know that behavior happens and problems at school happens, problems with other kids happen. What have you found to be the most helpful to help you as a foster parent deal with some of those issues that are, they're just challenging. Yeah. So 
I am not very good at this. We have had to really reframe the way that we view discipline in our Mm -hmm. home. We've had to reframe the way that we view the root cause of behaviors in our home because one of the biggest training points for foster care is, is trauma parenting. And the fact that a behavior from a traumatized child almost always comes from some other underlying unspoken trauma. And so, for example, a traumatized child who is hitting at daycare, most often that is a result of feeling threatened, feeling like they're in an unsafe environment and are mm. on the defense. And so it's been interesting. I mean, we in, in foster care, there's talk of using something called a time in rather than a time out. So when a child is exhibiting some sort of behavior, we will then have them sit next to us and spend time directly one-on-one with with them in an environment that is safe rather than isolating them and putting them away from everyone else. And that is something that was just a change for us. And and little things like we will raise our voice with our children and sometimes not think anything of it. But if you raise your voice sometimes with a traumatized child, you see immediately just their body just tense up and shake and their eyes get big and they feel immediately taken back to a place of darkness and trauma for them. And I've learned that the hard way. I mean, sometimes something comes flying out of my mouth (laughs) and I go, I cannot imagine. Right. So I, I will, I'm the first to admit that this is something that we are still learning, you know, for placements in that it's just different. And it's hard when you've got a kid that's misbehaving and they just make you so angry yeah. <laughs> um, to, to understand that it's not really that they're trying to do something that's, you know, blatantly defiant, that it's mm-hmm. really a result of, of something underlying and, and getting to the root of that would be a quicker way to uh, mm-hmm. stop the behavior. Yeah. Do you have like a support group that you all are a part of for you guys? Or, I mean, I know you're really close friends, obviously, with other people who foster, but is that a a place that you go to as well, just to bounce ideas off people? Yeah, I think if you're not careful, foster care can be very isolating because Mm -hmm. people tend to put you on a pedestal and treat you like you're some saint or special person. And it's really, it's sometimes makes me feel like an imposter, like no one really knows me. Mm. Because if you really knew me, that that's not the real me, you know, I'm not some superhero. And so to have other people that are in the trenches with you, obviously, is is really important. And to feel like you can be honest and say, gosh, I really did not like my foster son today. And I really just wished that I had never gotten into foster parenting, you know, and know that they they know you don't mean that, but that you mean it that day, you know, Well, yeah, Um, I mean, we Maybe everybody else in the world doesn't say that about their own children sometimes, <laughs> but um, me personally yeah. may be caught at any moment saying those exact words about my right, own children. Right, so. right. Yeah. So, and then we have been very fortunate to have a, a church group. We have something called a foster care support team who brings meals. And if we have a need, we send it out either a prayer request or a, a, a physical need, like you know, so-and-so needs new school shoes or new school uniforms. Can somebody provide that? I think that speaks to the way that people can be involved without being foster parents. The fact that I am physically capable and can afford to provide myself a meal once a week, our, our family a meal once a week, does not in any way diminish the 
immense amount of help it is to have somebody say, I want to serve you in this way. And I'm just going to drop off a meal that you don't have to think about. And, you know, people want to serve in that capacity Mm -hmm. and, and you have to give them the opportunity to do that. And so I've gotten really good about saying, yes, yes, I know I'm capable of doing that. Cause it used to be, Oh, I, I feel bad about that. I can, I can do dinner. It's not a big deal. Um, but to have people come alongside you and create a community really does more than just feed your family. I mean, it really feeds your soul and builds relationships and really exposes people to foster care in a way where they can be involved. Even if it's you can do it, it's also the amount of emotional energy you're using sometimes, even just adding an extra person to do homework in the evening. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, it's little practical things like that for me that I'm like, oh, I can do it, but... Yeah, please come help me. That'd be awesome. Well, it's a lesson for all of us moms, right? I mean, we can do it, but allow people to help you. You know, people want to help. And and when I offer to help someone, I want to do it. It's not because I have to or because I'm going to go begrudgingly. I mean, it is an honor to get to serve people in, in the capacity that we do. And so to accept that help is, I think, a big a big step in the right direction. Right. Well, so if you could stand in front of the parents of the children that you have fostered, what's something you'd like to say to them? Oh, gosh, just that they are valuable and loved and made a mistake just like any of us could. I can honestly say that I I really thought going into this that I would have so much disdain for the parents, but I I really feel like it softened my heart a lot um, to just see how broken these parents are and to, to sit in a room where a judge or a social worker is berating a parent and telling them that they don't deserve to have their child or that they've messed up so badly that their chance to ever be a parent is over. Um, just to watch their eyes hit the floor and to watch tears flow. uh, It's just heartbreaking. And these are people that just as we said, the children are created and loved by God are created in his image and loved by the Lord and are just so caught up in things that they can't get out of. um, That is just devastating. And so I think if I could stand behind them, beside them, I would just encourage them that it's always worth fighting for and it's always worth giving your best and, and it's not always going to work out and um, it's not always going to feel good, but they're worth it and they're worth the investment and they can turn their lives around and be involved in their kids' lives in some capacity, even if it's not as their primary caregiver. So, yeah. And even maybe sometime a lot farther down the line, there is, I mean, I think most of the time they're going to circle back around, right? Like most of the time when these kids are adults, they're going to have questions that they want answered. And Mm -hmm. when they circle back around, my prayer is that those biological parents get to be the parent that they never got to be. So, Mm. wow. Well, I do thank you so much for sharing today. And we um, we get to do a couple of questions that, who knows, they may end up talking a little bit about foster care, but maybe not. (laughs) Um, Because this is Grace Enough podcast, we talk a little bit about grace. And so um, outside of salvation, what is a time in your life where you feel like you really could do nothing but cling to the grace of God? So it's going to sound cliche, but I think I would have to say this journey. And I, you know, I am 
an Enneagram three. So I'm a, I've got to do all the things and do them well. And I don't want to do anything unless it's done perfectly. And, um, I, I really feel like that has served me well in a lot of areas, but also can make me really critical of myself and really feel like, um, I have to do things on my own accord. And so to just be able to embrace God's grace through all of this in that, I every day I get up and I say, I'm going to love this kid well, and I'm not going to get mad, and I'm not going <laughs> to lose my temper, and I'm going to parent them with my best trauma parenting skills, and then I'm going to go to work, and I'm going to be the best doctor I can be, and then I'm going to be the best mom I can be, and the best wife I can be, and that is just not sustainable, and and so to allow the Lord to come alongside me and say, listen, we're forming something beautiful here, but it's not going to be beautiful right now. And you're, you still have a lot to learn and you are by no means perfect. And we're going to show you those things slowly because it's only what you can handle at a time. Yeah. So, you know, that's been, it's been incredible. If you'd have told me that we were going to be foster parents five years ago, I'd have laughed in your face. It's just seems so silly and so crazy. And, um, our life seems like crazy chaos, but I wouldn't have it any other way. And I'm just so thankful that the Lord has, has called us into something and allowed us to just rely on him. Yeah. I mean, I have, just a little plaque downstairs in my um, bookshelf. And it says, you know, it doesn't have to be perfect to be beautiful. And right. that's the thing. One of the biggest reasons I bought that is because that's all has been a constant struggle for me. Like things yeah. can be beautiful without being perfect because yeah. there's only one person who is ever perfect. <laughs> so right. we just, we can't yeah. walk in those shoes, you know? Right. Well, if you could um, sit down with your great grandchildren and tell them anything, What's something you'd like to share with them? So I think it would be that you'll never regret choosing to love people mm-hmm. who, who they are and as they are and where they are. If you place yourself in close proximity to people, especially in their pain and their suffering, you're going to feel pain and you're going to feel like it's messy and you're going to feel like it requires a lot of sacrifice. But at the end of the day, you know, investing in the lives of people is, is always worth it. And I think, you know, a life lived with our heads in the sand where we ignore all of that is just not worth living. And, and so I, I think that my biggest prayer for my kids and my kids' kids is that they know how to love people well. Yeah. Well, you have a great Instagram account all about fostering that I so enjoy. So I want to make sure that you share it here in case there is someone who's just on the cusp of considering fostering or they are fostering and they need the encouragement or maybe now they've listened to this episode, they're convicted and feel like they need to look (laughs) into fostering. So share that with our listeners. Where can we find you? So I am at Micah6.8mom on Instagram. That's where we chronicle our foster care journey. Yeah. And you know, to me, it's just common because I have so many friends who foster, but I've realized it's not common to everyone else of why, like in a family picture, you know, the, the kid's face is always you know, blurred out or has a sweet little picture over it. Just share that with our listeners in case they go and they're like, why is this happening? Yeah. So that is not something that is a strict rule. Mm -hmm. You can really do it at your discretion. We personally made that decision for a number of reasons. One, uh, 
to protect our own privacy and our own safety. We didn't want the the account itself is public, so we didn't want right. foster or excuse me, we didn't want biological parents to be able to then see where we are at any given time and find us if we were not comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to reach out to them on our own terms and provide our own, you know, phone numbers and addresses as we felt comfortable. So that was one reason. The other is that we really do respect the privacy of the biological parents. And these are not our children. And I think about you know, if I take a picture of their child on their birthday and post pictures of them opening gifts and blowing out candles and, and what that must feel like as a mom to look and see your child on social media in that mm-hmm. special moment, uh, not with you. And so some of it has just been out of respect to them to not really reveal the identity of the child that's with us. We have, once the children have moved on and we've gotten permission from biological families, often shared pictures. And that's always fun because people really do enjoy seeing their faces. It's not meant to be cryptic or to keep people from knowing. Um, But we do want to share our journey. And so we do intentionally share pictures, but we have to be a little bit careful about how much we reveal just for our own safety and their own safety. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being here this evening, Lindsay. I appreciate it. Yeah, it was so much fun. Thanks, Amber. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Resources, links, and quotes from today's conversation can be found at graceenoughpodcast.com under the show notes tab. If you are enjoying the show, I would like to ask you a few favors. Number one, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast. You can head over to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and iHeartRadio. Clicking that subscribe button helps to make sure you never miss a new episode of the podcast. Number two, if you enjoy the show, would you take a moment to leave a review on iTunes? Those reviews help me to know how the show is impacting you. And number three, the best way to grow is for people like you to share it with your friends. Will you share your favorite Grace Enough podcast episode via text, email, or social media? Again, I'm so grateful for each one of you who listen week in and week out. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time.